0: The letter of Paul to the Colossians, as you guys are aware, we've been studying the book of Colossians, and it has been awesome. It really has been great. If you are new and you want to um, keep up or go back to what we've been studying so far, you can go on our website, click on the sermons. Um, tab, and then you'll be taken to our sermons page and you can listen to some of the older messages. But this week we are going to be looking at verses nine through to fourteen, verses nine through to fourteen. I'm going to read and you can um, follow along as I read. And so, from the day we heard, giving thanks to the Father who has qualified you to share in the inheritance of the saints in light. He has delivered us from the domain of darkness and transferred us to the kingdom of his beloved Son, in whom we have redemption, the forgiveness of sins. Pray with me. Heavenly Father, We boldly approach your throne knowing that we are loved by you and we are loved by you not because of our own efforts but because of the finished work of Jesus Christ on our behalf. Father, I come to you with hearts heavy, just overwhelmed with what's happening with my mother-in-law, and I ask that you would sustain her. Father, I ask that you will give Eleanor and I and the rest of the family confidence in you, and to trust that this situation has not escaped your sovereignty and that you are aware, you care and you are in control of everything. Comfort us in this season. And so Father as we study your word which is so so powerful which is so able to Um, provide us with the needed comfort and help in our time of need. May you provide all that you need to provide outside of my manuscript and sermon, Father. May you take everything I say, Father, and may you um, impress it on the hearts and minds of the people here. Father, may this time not just be uh, a normal Sunday church attendance, But, Father, may we be transformed by all that we experience together here. Father, in our singing and in our hearing from your word, may we be transformed. May you open up the eyes of our hearts so we may know and see you and experience you. Father, our hearts, we desire to know you more. And as we grow in our knowledge of you, we know that we will be able to live lives that are pleasing to you. And so, Father, help us that your spirit work. And as your spirit works, give us hearts of sensitivity and surrender to all that you want to do in us and through us. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. As the Apostle Paul traveled around the Mediterranean, sharing the gospel of Jesus Christ and establishing churches, he kept in contact with these churches by writing letters. Uh, These letters were delivered, not through FedEx or UPS, but by messengers, And when these letters arrived, uh, they would be read to the church. So a letter will come, and whoever is reading it will gather the church, and they would read the letter to the congregation. Paul wrote a total of 13 letters, some to churches and some to church leaders. His letters not only included instructions and challenges on how to live for Christ, but some of his letters included... Prayers, And this letter he wrote to the church in the city of Colossae is no different. It includes, of course, helps and instructions, warnings, encouragements, and challenges, but it also includes prayers. And what's interesting about his prayers is that they focus more on spiritual blessings than on material things. Last week, we studied one of several prayers he prayed for the Colossians. It was a prayer of thanks to God for the faith, love, and hope he had heard about in the life of the Colossians. This week, Paul moves from thanksgiving in his prayers to petition. And from his prayer for the Colossians, we learn, this is what we're going to be learning today, to always pray for knowledge and obedience with thanksgiving. The first principle we learn about prayer from Paul's prayer for the Colossians is to pray always. To pray always. If you're writing notes, making notes, pray always. That's the first point. The first few words in our passage for this morning, reads. We've read it. We're going to read it again now. It it says, And so, from the day we heard, we have not ceased to pray for you. Paul and his team and associates remain in prayer for the church in Colossae because of what he has heard about them. So, the question is, what has Paul heard that has driven him to his knees for the church in Colossae. Verse 4, which we studied last week, reveals to us that he's heard, reveals to us what he's heard, and it says, if you can look at verse 4 of chapter 1, it says, since we heard of your faith in Christ Jesus and of the love that you have for all the saints because of the hope laid up for you in heaven. Epaphras. I hope I pronounced it right, uh, probably not. Last week, uh, our very own Michael Fratacci, our uh, Italian stallion, came up to me and said, you're not pronouncing Epaphras right, it should be Epaphras. And I was like, thank you, but no thank you, we've got different accents. <laughs> so Epaphras, who was one of the key leaders of the church in the city of Colossae, had gone to meet the Apostle Paul, and at this time, the Apostle Paul, who's the author of this letter, was in prison. And Epaphras, what he does is, he gives um, Paul an update on how the church is doing. And verse 4 of chapter 1, which we just read, is the essence of his update on how the church is doing. He's saying to Paul, Paul, the church in Colossae is doing great. We're doing really well. People are loving God and loving each other. Everything is going well. In response to this update, Paul writes a letter to the Colossians, and the overarching purpose of the letter is to encourage them to put down deeper roots in Christ within a culture that has a distorted view of Jesus, the Christ. And he doesn't just provide them with theological and practical ways to achieve this. What he does is he prays for this. He says, from the day we heard about your faith in Christ and your love for the saints, we've been praying for you. We've been praying for you. What we can learn from this is that we must pray at all times, even when things are going well. The update Paul received was positive. It was good news, right? And even though it was a report that revealed to him that the church in Colossae were doing well, uh, what, what, what he did was to pray. Most of the time, our prayers are occupied with requests for those who are in need, okay? When we are desperate, when things aren't going right, that is when we pray. And it's great to pray. If you look at Scripture, it encourages us to let all of our requests known to God, okay? So when we're going through a hard time, a hard season, we must pray to God. But from this prayer by Paul, for the Colossians, we learn that it's important to not only pray for difficult situations, but we must be equally as prayerful when things are going well. When we hear that someone is growing in their faith, that shouldn't be a reason to, uh, for us not to pray. Instead, we should be inspired to pray for them for their greater progress. The second principle we learn about prayer from Paul's prayer um, for the Colossians is to pray for knowledge. That's the second point. Pray for knowledge. Look at the last part of verse 9. It says, asking that you may be filled with the knowledge of his will in all spiritual wisdom and understanding. Here, um, Paul is saying that we've heard about the awesome things God uh, has been doing, and in response, we've been praying for greater progress, okay? And the one thing that has been on repeat in our prayers for you is that you may be filled with the knowledge of God's will in all spiritual wisdom and understanding. Uh, the word here, filled, filled, um, in this verse means to be totally controlled, right? Totally controlled, filled, means totally controlled. The meaning here has to do with the type of filling that influences and controls the action of someone or something. Does that make sense? All right? So, for example, it's like alcohol, right? When someone's filled with the alcohol, what do they say? right? They're under the influence, okay? So here, Paul is praying that each person who is part of the church in Colossae would be totally controlled, okay, by the knowledge of God's will. My wife is of Greek descent, okay? Greek descent, and I love her a lot, and I love the Greek culture. And one thing I'm thankful for the Greek culture is the, uh, they claim that every word that exists in the English vocabulary <laughs> came from a Greek word. And that's true, for the most part. Uh, the Greek word translated knowledge, right here in this verse, carries and the meaning of full knowledge. Okay, full knowledge. So when you look at that word knowledge, it means full knowledge. In using this word, what Paul really wants to see happen in the life of the Colossians is for them to be totally controlled, not by a superficial or partial knowledge or shallow knowledge of God's will, but by a full and extensive knowledge of God's will. Paul's prayer then is that these believers might be controlled by the fullest knowledge of God's will. And how they're to know fully God's will is in all spiritual wisdom and understanding, and spiritual wisdom and understanding, which is found in all of Scripture, the Bible, is where we find and discover the knowledge of God's will. And this is Paul's prayer. And this should be our prayer. We should pray always. We should pray always. We should be praying always to be filled with the knowledge of God's will. We should always be praying for our lives to be influenced by all that we learn about God in the scriptures. Did you hear what I just said? We should be praying regularly that what we read and learn from God's word would influence and control how we live. Question, is the reading and study and meditation of God's Word a regular rhythm in your life? Do you dedicate, do you set aside time to learn and to know um, God's Word? When you open uh, God's Word, are you praying, are you reading and praying and and saying, God, speak to me? And not only help me understand, but help me to to, to know and apply and live out and be controlled by what I'm learning. So far, what we've discovered from Paul's prayer for the Colossians is to pray always and pray for knowledge. The third principle we learn about prayer from Paul's prayer for the Colossians is to pray for obedience. Pray for obedience. Look at the first part of verse 10. It says, "Um, so as to walk in a manner worthy of the Lord, fully pleasing to him. In other words, Paul's saying, "Um, we've been praying for you and we've been praying nonstop. We've been asking God to help you know his will. And the reason why we've been doing this is so that you may be pleasing to him in how you live. What does it mean to walk in a manner worthy of the Lord? What does that mean? Uh, when you're reading your Bible and you come across some words, some words don't mean what they always mean to us, right? So, for example, the word walk. When you're reading your Bible, you come across the word walk. Uh, don't think that it means walk as we know it, okay? You've got to look at the context and you've got to look at what's going on. It could be, but it might not be. Sometimes the word walk in the Bible is actually talking about a person's pattern, a person's conduct, a person's way of life, their lifestyle, okay? Therefore, a person who walks in a manner worthy of the Lord is someone whose lifestyle is controlled by the knowledge, wisdom, and understanding of God's will, which is found in the Bible, okay? But sometimes how someone lives doesn't match up with who they are. Example, okay? Prince Harry is scheduled to marry Meghan, whatever her name is, in, in May, right? Well, I can't pronounce her name, last name, okay? That's going to be happening very soon, okay? Prince Harry hasn't always been the sophisticated Prince gentleman, Okay? He's had a rebellious season in his life. He really has. He had a time when he was going out and partying and going to Las Vegas and doing things a prince shouldn't be doing, okay? But over the years, what has happened is he's matured and he's become a prince, right? A confident, keeping out of trouble prince, okay? During his rebellious years, right, he was not living in a manner worthy of a prince. He was not. Oops. That is why, (laughs) that is why most people were shocked, okay? And so in the same way, in a similar way, Paul is praying that the Colossians would know God more, okay? They would know the knowledge of God and that their knowledge of God would lead them to living in a way that pleases God. Knowledge and obedience shouldn't be separate because what we learn should affect how we live, okay? What we learn in God's word should affect how we live. Many of us tend to interpret the term knowing God's will to mean knowing God's direction, right? For a particular decision, We'll hear ourselves and others say, I sense that it's God's will for me to date this guy. I sense that it's God's will for me to marry this guy. I sense that it's God's will for me to go to this particular city. I've just walked into the grocery store and I sense it's God's will for me to buy this particular brand of peanut butter. (laughs) You hear that? It's God's will for me to buy that hot dog even though I'm on a diet. But Paul's use of the phrase has nothing to do with anything like this. Here, the knowledge of God's will has less to do with our future plans and more, listen carefully, to do with God and how he wants us to live Tony Payne who's an Australian scholar author explains that what Paul is getting at with the term knowledge of God's will means knowing how to please God and to live a life worthy of who he is and all that he has done for us that is what this is talking about The knowledge of God's will is not, God, show me where to go or what to do. It's talking about knowing who God is, right, and living in accordance with who he says he is and how he wants us to live. What we know about God should shape and control how we live. It's life, isn't it? What we know about something affects how we live. For example... For example, I have a terrible, horrific fear of dogs. I really do. And the reason why is when I was young, I got chased several times by ruthless and horrible and evil doggies. Okay, And because of that reason, I have been scarred, scarred. The next thing I'm deathly afraid of is swimming and water and ocean. I mean, it's just the weirdest thing. I'm in San Diego, but I can't swim. And after, you know, I've nearly drowned a couple of times. And so, like, because, you know, I just don't like the water. I don't. And because of my experience, because of my knowledge, it affects how I live. So when I see a dog, I walk the other side of the road. <laughs> right? When I see a swimming pool, I put on my floaties and my life jacket, I do, and I swim, right? Someone was so horrible to me. You know what they said? They said, hey, Obed, I know what your worst nightmare is, and your worst nightmare must be someone picking you up and throwing you in a pool full of dogs. (laughs) What a horrible person. What we know, our experiences affect how we live. It does. What then does a life worthy of the Lord and pleasing to God look like? And I love what's happening here. If you read um, the passage we're studying, Paul doesn't just say, hey, filled with the knowledge of God, Um, walk in a manner that is worthy and pleasing to God, what he does next is that he helps us know what exactly it looks like for us to walk in a manner worthy of the Lord and how to please God. Look at the last part of verse 10 and verse 11. Look at it. It says, so as to walk in a manner worthy of the Lord, fully pleasing to him. Here it comes, this is what it looks like to walk in a manner worthy of the Lord and pleasing to him. It looks like this, bearing fruit in every good work and increasing in the knowledge of God, being strengthened with all power according to his glorious might for all endurance and patience with joy. All right, here Paul lists Three characteristics of a person who is living a life that is pleasing to God. And in doing so, we as a church, as believers, are shown what it looks like for us to live a life that is pleasing to God. Who wants to please God here? Who wants to please God? Do you want to please God? Everyone? Of course you do. And so we are thankful for God's word. We are thankful for this letter to the Colossians because it reveals to us how we can live lives that are pleasing to God. First, a life that is pleasing to God will bear fruit in every good work, will bear fruit in every good work. Someone who is pleasing to God is involved in doing good works. They're involved in doing good works and good works is not the root in of itself. Good works is the fruit of grace. The reason why we believers should be doing good works is because of the grace, the mercy and the love we have received from God, through Jesus Christ. And when we're reminded of all that God has done, we have no choice. We are inspired. We are propelled forward to living a life and doing good deeds. The believer who is daily being filled with the knowledge of who God is and what he has done will be informed of God's will and be be able to not only live a life that is fully pleasing to him but also a life that is dedicated to working for him. And the life devoted to God is a fruitful life. It's a fruitful life. Second, a life that is pleasing to God will always be increasing in the knowledge of God bearing fruit through our good works it's not only a result of a life pleasing to God but continuous spiritual growth is also a byproduct of a life that is pleasing to God we're pleasing to God when we grow in our knowledge of who he is and what he has done okay That is how we're pleasing to God. You need to look at your life regularly and say to yourself, have I grown in my knowledge of who God is? You need to look at the rear view mirror on your life and realize that what you knew about God then, back then in your history, right, has been built upon over the years, over the months, over the weeks, today even. The last characteristic of a person who is pleasing to God is found in verse 11. Okay? In verse 11. And it reads, Being strengthened with all power, according to his glorious might, for all endurance, and patience with joy. The word strengthened here does not refer to this one-time boost uh, of energy. Um, here, uh, the word strengthened, right, is, ta- it, um, is talking about a strengthening that is ongoing. It's saying that all believers, right, if you're here and you're Christian, your strength didn't wasn't just a one-time boost of energy. You are being continuing, continuing being strengthened um, throughout your Christian lives. God's power is what saves you and God's power is what sustains you throughout your Christian walk. Now, this is what tends to happen and I'm guilty of this as well, okay? When we think about God's power, okay, we often only picture it or imagine it in view of his great and mighty works, okay? When we think about our powerful God, what do we go to? We go to um, stories like a God split in the Red Sea. We go to stories like God feeding thousands of people with five loaves of bread and two fish. We focus our attention on on, on the great and mighty things God has done, okay, when we think about God's power. But the power that is being discussed right here in this passage, and don't miss it, hear me out, has to do with Christian character. And endurance, patience, joy, are qualities every believer should have that exists in their life because of God's power that is at work in their lives Warren Weasby who's a scholar um, said, said this and this is an awesome quote listen to this he says the inner victories of the soul are just as great if not greater than the public victories recorded in the accounts of history did you guys get that? The power of God is at work in our lives when we control our temper, when we have every right to explode with rage. The power of God is at work in our lives when we resist the temptation and the urge to give in to our lustful desires. The power of God is at work in our lives when we confess sin and ask for forgiveness. The power of God was that work in our life when we continue to trust God when life is tough. The word endurance here basically means endurance when circumstances are hard, okay? Word endurance is endurance when circumstances are hard. This kind of endurance is far from the kind of passive Endurance that says, I'm just going to, like, just wait and see what God does. This kind of endurance that is being mentioned here in this verse has to do with uh, more like a soldier on a battlefield who keeps fighting even though things are getting tough. It's an active kind of endurance. Endurance. It's endurance in action. When you find yourself overwhelmed with pain and suffering, be reminded that God has provided you with power to endure. As Elena came up to... um, Um, inform you guys of our mom's issues. This is not the issues we've been having. This is not the only issue we've been having as a family. This week has been crazy. All right? One of our neighbors just freaking out, coming upstairs, trying to force her way into our house and making our kids cry. Um, We've had some crazy visa issues that we've been trying to iron out been intense and then we you know Ellen and his mom's been in the house, and then you know so much has been happening let me be honest with you there have been times this week where i'm so discouraged i'm like what are we doing what's the point of doing this church what's the point of working on my i don't even have the emotional energy or strength to work on my sermon." I don't don't want to see anyone, I don't want to talk to anyone, I don't want to do anything. There is so much, we are so overwhelmed by so much, we can't keep going on. But in the midst of it, this is true, this is the truest thing, God has helped us endure. He really has. He really has helped us endure. That is why I'm here preaching. You know, that's so why I'm here this morning. I was so many times going like, I can't do it. I have my wife to comfort. I have this to say. You know, all of these things. But God has sustained us. God has helped us endure. And know that in your darkest of times, uh, when you're in your most difficult of situations, God has, through his spirit, by the power of his Holy Spirit, God has provided you with all that you need to endure. Charles Spurgeon, who was known by many as one of the greatest preachers of all time, once said, by perseverance, the snail reached the ark. Awesome, isn't it? Along with endurance, we also need patience. In verse 11, it shows us that we're not only empowered to endure, we also receive power for patience, right? Endurance and patience are closely related, but how they're distinct is that endurance has to do with life's circumstances and patience has to do with people. At times be honest, it's easier to patiently endure difficult circumstances than be loving and patient with a difficult friend or loved one. Again, Warren Weasby tells the story of a pastor who often visits a Christi- uh, young man, Christian young man who had been badly burned. Okay? The young man uh, had to remain still on his back for hours and it was difficult for him to perform even the, ba- even the basic functions of life. Just, you know, can't do anything because of all the burns. I wish God would do a miracle and heal me, the young man said to his pastor one day. God is doing a miracle the pastor replied, but not the kind you are looking for. I have watched you grow in patience and kindness during these weeks. That to me is a greater miracle than the healing of your body. God's power is at work in our life when we evidence endurance Have you endured when life has been tough? Have you displayed patience with the people you live with or work alongside? And if you have, be encouraged. Be reminded. Because the reality is God has been at work in and through you. You have witnessed In your life, a miracle. Lastly, the endurance and patience we've been talking about here has nothing um, to do with the stoic or like teeth grinding kind of endurance. What we're talking about is endurance and patience that allows the believer to endure trials with joy okay? Um, Read verse 11 again. Let's read verse 11 again. It says, being strengthened with all power according to his glorious might for all endurance and patience with joy. With joy. The knowledge of God's truth empowers us to endure trials with joy. And listen, I'm not talking about... The, the, the joy that, oh gosh, I'm going through the hardest time of my life, happy, happy, I'm just so happy, oh my gosh, I'm dying, I've got my arm blown, you know, like, you, no, I'm not talking about that. You know, I'm not talking about that kind of joy. what The joy this is talking about is this confident trust in God and his sovereignty in the midst of the most difficult of circumstances. It's this trust in God, saying, God, I know you are here, and I know know you're here, I know you love me, and you care for me, and I'm going through the most craziest time of my life, but I trust that you are here, and there's this joy, this creates within us, and this peace and this hope God provides. So far, what we've discovered from Paul's prayer for the Colossians is to pray always, pray for knowledge, and pray for obedience. The third and last principle we learned from um, about prayer from Paul's prayer for the Colossians is to pray with thanks look at verse 12 it says giving thanks to the father who has qualified you to share in the inheritance of the saints in light Paul often gives thanks in his prayers and because because this prayer um, he prayed for the Colossians is a model for us to follow we too must endeavor to do the same but what's Disappointing, and what's sad in all of our lives is that most of the time when we pray, thanksgiving is neglected. Because every time we pray, our needs, right, are so consuming and so overwhelming, we are slow to thank God for the many things he's doing in our lives. In Paul's prayer for the Colossians, we're reminded to give thanks. We're reminded to give thanks. Uh, to have hearts filled with gratitude for the many things God has been doing. In prayer, we're encouraged to give thanks to the Father. Give thanks to the Father. Do you guys notice that in verse 12? Right? Give thanks to the Father. What is this saying? It's saying that as a Christian, because of what Jesus has done for us, okay, we are no longer... Um, enemies of God. God is not our righteous judge who is going to judge us but because of what Jesus has done we have been adopted into God's family so therefore if God is our father we are his not only has God adopted us as his children he has qualified us verse 12 says to share in the inheritance of the saints in light What this means is that we've been qualified to inherit heaven, eternal life, and our qualification didn't come from our own effort. We didn't earn his inheritance. It was all done for us by the work of God in Jesus Christ. And we should be incredibly thankful as believers for all that God has done. He has adopted us. We are his children. And he has giving us the inheritance of eternal life to look forward to with him. But, what we should be most thankful for as believers is the work of Christ. That is why Paul concludes his prayer by reminding us of what Jesus has done for us. Look at Verses 13 and 14. Um, It says, He has delivered us from the domain of darkness and transferred us to the kingdom of his beloved Son in whom we have redemption, the forgiveness of sins. God the Father has qualified you, if you're a believer, to share in the inheritance of the saints. And the inheritance you have is gained for you through the work of God the Father, through his beloved son, Jesus Christ. In other words, God has acted through Jesus. He has rescued us from, our, uh, from one kingdom, described as the kingdom of darkness, and transferred us to another kingdom, the kingdom of his son. And in the kingdom of his beloved son, what we receive, it tells us here, is redemption, and the forgiveness of sins. This is all God's work. This is what God has done. If you are here and you're a believer, God has gone to great lengths in order to transfer you from the kingdom of darkness. Right? Ephesians 2 says we were dead in our sins. We were dead in our trespasses. We were living lives that were was heading to destruction. But because of God's grace, love in Jesus Christ, he came, he transferred us from that kingdom. And now we are in the kingdom of his beloved son. And in that kingdom, it tells us we have redemption and the forgiveness of sin. And this is what Jesus provides for everyone who decides to trust him and follow him. Every bad thing you've done, every sin you've committed, all your failures, all your mistakes, all of those things. God is saying that if you surrender your life to Jesus Christ, if you give your life to Jesus Christ, he not only becomes your father and he gives you eternal life, but you are forgiven. You are no longer guilty of sin because Jesus has paid it all. From Paul's prayer for the Colossians, this morning, we have learned to pray always, pray for knowledge, pray for obedience to obey what we learn and pray with thanks because of finished work of Jesus Christ on our behalf. Pray with me. Father, thank you for reminding us of these truths today. Father, I can only do so much it's always you at work and it will be you who builds or continues what has been started through this sermon and so Father may your spirit guide and impress these truths in the hearts, in all of our hearts and minds, we need you may you help us to endure, you are Help us to recognize the many things you've done in our lives. Help us to not be ungrateful, but be grateful for all that you've done. We give you all the praise. We give you all the thanks for reminding us today to pray always, and to pray for your knowledge, the knowledge of your world. And as we pray for the knowledge of your world, may we also be seeking to live what we learn, And as we do, Father, no matter what is thrown at us, may we be reminded that you, through your spirit, is empowering us to endure and help us to be patient. May we live lives of joy, no matter what season we find ourselves in. In Jesus' name we pray, amen.